for three Sundays. Um, it's been kind of a kind of an interesting journey as I as I shared with another church for a while, covering for their pastor who was away for a month, and now is just away. But um, uh, one of just just was a great time sharing with them. But yesterday, I just kind of wanted to say just briefly. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being with um, uh, with about a hundred of your church planters and their families uh, in, um, in, uh, in all of New York State, uh, basically down in, uh, in, actually we were in New Jersey, uh, so it was a good time, but a uh, uh, good time with them as, they, as we kind of celebrated what God is doing in New York, and it was quite the international gathering, My, at least went with me, and we had such a great time, um, the, these planters I had all gathered together, all of them planting in the last couple of years um, in, in, in and around uh, uh, the, the state of New York, uh, New York City, up here and in Buffalo, Rochester, and it just kind of was an exciting time to, to gather with them. Um, I felt like I was in a, in a foreign land, though, because everybody was speaking different languages. And, uh, and these are people, you know, we had Nepali, we had um, Burmese, we had... Um, uh, Egyptian, we had, um, um, what were the other countries, Ghanaian, uh, uh, just, just one table I was sitting at, and that was that group, Indian, uh, and just, it was just a time of celebration of what God is doing through even you, as you, uh, as you participate, even in your offerings, things going to, uh, to our, our, to plant churches around, around our world, really, literally around the world, but how the nations have come to New York. There are some, they tell us there are over 800 languages spoken in, or 800 people groups, excuse me, 800 people groups in New York City. We have 74 languages spoken in Syracuse alone. 74 languages. How many of you knew that? 74 languages. Our little city, it's not that big a city. Um, and uh, we have, we're planting churches in as many of those language groups as we possibly can. So it's just a great time. Thanks for letting me be a part of that, and thanks for your support of that happening. Um, this morning, I kind of wanted us to think about, there, there's a, have, have anybody heard of Dr. John Kabat-Zinn? I mean, I can't even hardly pronounce it. John Kabat-Zinn? I mean, it's a very important person, I guess. I don't know. Um, but he developed the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. Anybody heard of mindfulness? Okay, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that, right? Uh, it's kind of big in the news these days, and supposedly he's doing some great things. Now, according to their materials, according to their materials now, mindfulness practice is ideal for cultivating greater awareness of the unity of mind and body, as well as of the ways the unconscious thoughts, feelings, and behaviors can undermine emotional, physical, and spiritual health. That's a mouthful, isn't it? According to them, mindfulness is a lifetime engagement, not to get somewhere else, but to be where and as we actually are in this very moment, whether the experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. I'm not going to teach that kind of mindfulness today. i just let you know. But it's good. It's got some interesting things. I'm, I, I'm not proposing that we engage in this 
clinical mindfulness. In fact, I'm a bit concerned, frankly, a little bit uh, about some of its origins and practices. All right, I'll just, I'm going there, I've got to be sure. Now, that's my disclaimer for having even mentioned this. All right, so if you go back and you start reading about mindfulness and you see it's, um, some of its background, some of its Eastern religion thing, it's not because I'm advocating it, nor have I studied it. All right, I just kind of read a little bit about it, found it interesting. Uh, however, Paul gives us plenty to consider as we engage in mindful participation in God's plan for our lives. And you might be saying, well, Pastor, isn't this a, a time when we're kind of like, it's Thanksgiving and coming up and we're all looking at that? Yes, all right, it is. Now, let's go to the Lord in prayer together and then we're going to read his word together just for a moment. And I, I think that uh, you'll see where we're going with this. Let's pray. Father, we, so often, at least when I'm preaching, I'll, I'll read your word and then I will pray and ask that you will somehow do something with what I just read, but this, this, uh, this morning I'm, I'm wanting to uh, get to this point and ask you, first of all, to bless the reading of your word as we read it together. Father, that we know it's your word that speaks, it's your word that is alive, it's your word that is active, so I pray that you would speak to us through your word as we approach this holiday season. I think we need this. And so I just pray that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians, chapter 4. I like Philippians. Uh, actually, it's one of my favorite books. Um, but I almost always say that when I'm reading, when I'm preaching from the Word, because if I spent time in there, I'm, it's a favorite. Maybe because God wrote it. Philippians chapter 4, and I, I, I think Philippians is kind of this book that people say is about joy, about rejoicing, and it's, it seems to be a very positive book, doesn't it? It seems like an uplifting book when you read it. I get excited. Some of you have been reading it in your, um, in, and studying it in your, in your missional communities, and, um, and it's, such an, it's such an uplifting time in that book, and I like it. It's a good time of year to do that. Here at the end of the book, this is what Paul tells us. And beginning with verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Your reasonableness, or, or um, you, you might want to say you, the, um, the, the, your gentleness, your, your ability to understand. I like the New American Standard. He says, let your, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But let your reasonableness be known to, all, to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace 
will be with you. That's the ESV version. I don't know if I messed you guys up back there because everybody's always, oh, Tim, he preached out New American Standard, and today I use ESV. Sorry about that. They're, they're back there like, ah, oh, this guy. Choose to rejoice at all times. In these verses, Paul lays out some bold expectations, uh, given the fact that the recipients of his letter are in the midst of suffering and persecution. Remember where these guys are. He tells them to rejoice. Don't worry. Those are hard words. You think, no, that's great. Rejoice, don't worry. And everybody like that. I mean, how many of you did this? You know, you'll, you'll, I'll date myself now, okay? But we used to sing that song. We thought we were so cool. You rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I would say rejoice. You know, and we dance around and all those good things. Of course, I didn't dance around, of course. I'm Baptist. <laughs> but you guys might have danced around, and, and we certainly thought that was really a cutting-edge song. Um, but now, don't worry. Rejoice. Now, they're, they're in suffering. They're in persecution at the time Paul's writing. Try that on the, your wife, by the way, the next time. Uh, she, she's worried about or uptight about something. Hey, don't worry. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Rejoice. It's all good, right? Right? Now, to be fair, try that on your husband sometime. I don't want to be too sexist here. Try that on your husband sometime. The next time there's smoke billowing out of, from under the hood of the car. Oh, don't worry, honey. It's all good. It's all good. Right? You know, well, that's, I mean, that's much milder than what these guys are going through. And Paul is saying, rejoice. Again, in case you don't get it, in case you didn't catch the first time, I say rejoice. You know, when the Bible repeats it twice, you know there's something to it. You know, of course, Jesus always said, truly, truly, I say to you, right? You know, anytime you see that, there's something to focus in on. Don't just blow it off. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice. Of course, what could the Philippians say? Paul was in prison and suffering as much or more than they were. And later he tells them, I have learned to be content in all things. All circumstances, whatever circumstances I am, I have been learned to be content. This Paul is the one that's writing to them and saying, Rejoice always, even though you're in suffering, even though you're being persecuted. Rejoice always. Now, let's see. What, what circumstances might these be that Paul had, was content in? Remember? In Acts, Paul's, on Paul's first missionary journey, you remember this? On his first missionary journey, he's out there preaching the gospel, doing his thing, being a nice guy, telling people about Jesus. People are getting converted. And he comes, to, he comes on that journey when he's preaching and healing in Lystra. Do you remember that? He gets to Lystra. What happens when he gets to Lystra? Well, a group of Jews came and stirred up the crowds. They stoned Paul. You know, and that wasn't like smoking something. They stoned him. They put through rocks at him, big rocks. And they dragged him out of town saying, he's dead. 
They believed he was dead. Now, when you've been stoned and dragged out of town and left for dead, can you say, I've learned to be content? This is the same Paul who had, who beyond that, uh, how about the, the time after casting out an evil spirit of a, of a fortune teller and the authorities proceeded to use rods to beat Paul and Silas. You remember that? They used rods to beat Paul and Silas with many blows. Then they were thrown into prison, bound in chains to the stone wall and I think the floor, and they were, they're bound there like this. Miserable? Wouldn't you be miserable? But no, what are they doing? They're praying and singing. I could go on, but I won't because you guys want to go home and get ready for Thanksgiving sometime this week. This is the Paul who says, Rejoice always. It's easy to rejoice when things are going good, isn't it? It's easy, but he says rejoice always. And he says, let your reasonableness, your forbearing spirit, your gentleness, your willingness to yield be known to everyone. Now, it, we have to use all those words because that word cannot be translated with one of our words. It's just not one of those words. It's, it's one of those Greek words that's, and, and I'm not a Greek expert, don't get me wrong here, but it's good to understand that this word needs all of that to express its meaning. He says, let this attitude in you be known to everyone. Let them see that in you. This is the Paul who says, do not be anxious do not, or worry about anything. We find it so easy to worry about the future. We, the future seems so uncertain. Uh, maybe not for you right now, but it will. It'll feel that way at some point. We, we cringe, don't we, at the closing of another plant? I mean, I, I work right off of uh, a carrier circle, and, and um, you know, there are plants that seem to close more than they open. Carrier's gone, practically. I mean, there's just a little bitty office building there now, in a sense. And uh, down the street from that, of course, new process gear, which was something else, which was something else, and now is nothing. And, and we even like, we kind of even like when something is opening, not far from there, we've got a new plant opening, right? They say they're going to play, I think, 400 people. And, and, we're, and we're like, yeah, that's good, but, and you know, and I don't know, are we such pessimists in Syracuse? What is the deal here? You know, I mean, this plant's opening, and I hear, and then the next article in the newspaper was, but... You know, at the same time, they're closing over here. And so we're really only getting a net gain of, and they gave a number, I can't remember what it was. And, you know, it's like, do we have to be so negative? You know, but we do feel that way, don't we? Now the nuclear plant's closing down up in, in uh, there, Oswego County. I can't, I can't remember the, uh, the uh, near Mexico. By the way, it really was hard to get used to, you know, all these... You know, Mexico is to the north of us. I really had a hard time with that. Um, we're concerned about other things. We're concerned about our health, our finances, our family issues. These are all things that we concern ourselves with. And, you know, so we, we think of Thanksgiving and Christmas as such a wonderful, warm time, but how many people actually don't think of it that way? You know, it's a stressful time. It's a time when they remember someone they lost, they loved. It, there's a lot of people who are not happy at this time. It is a stressful time. 
Paul says, in everything, in everything, in these things, in these things that you're rejoicing in, uh, even though you don't, don't feel like it, in everything, by, here's how he says to address it, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything means what? In persecution, in suffering, in prison, in job loss, in new but low-paying jobs, in health, in health issues, in family issues. Let your requests be made known to God. And he'll give you everything you ask for. Are you listening to me? What does it say here? He says, and the peace of God. Hmm. And the peace. Well, let's get, we'll get back to that in a minute. He uses two words and a subthought to describe this process, by the way. It's not just like, okay, pray. One of them is pray. Prayer is a is simple communion with God. It's the most common word we use. We talk about prayer. We mean prayer. It's not the way we mean it, though. Prayer is communion with God. It's talking with God, spending time in conversation with God about your concerns. He can handle it. He can handle it, by the way. You can talk to God about your concerns. He can handle that. He knows what you're talking. He already knows what you're thinking anyway, right? He already knows that. So you can talk. He can handle your concerns. My prayer life, by the way, has grown to where, where I spend more time talking things out with God, knowing that he already knows. But it's kind of like I need to, to use God as a, a sounding board. Is that too sacrilegious? You know, and... I, I, the job I do, a lot of guys use me as a sounding board. You know, it's kind of like uh, all these church planters, they have to talk to me and they, they want to know what I think about this or that or this or that, you know. And it's like I don't do anything, I just talk, you know. And they just, they just sound it out. And by the time they finish talking to me, they know. And it's usually not because I've given them an answer. Well, God's not quite that way because he actually does know the answers. And so, uh, so I look to God, and I need him as a sounding board, and I will talk it out to him. I will tell him all the things going on in my life and say, here's the situation, Lord, and I know you know this, but let's just kind of lay it out here so this so that you can see and know. And don't you do that with your closest friends? God's like that. Prayer, that's what prayer is. It's talking it out with God. It's meeting with him on something. It's actually believing he's there. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and so prayer in our struggles particularly can be like that. Just kind of lay it out there. God, here it is. Here's my problem. And then supplication is what we commonly call prayer. It's asking for stuff or asking for his intervention. It, it is when we take specific requests to God and seek a, a positive response. The word implies humility, in a, in a sense, as, as well as desperation. We need an answer. When we're supplicating, I don't know if we can supplicate or not. I think we can. When we're, I never, anybody use that word? Like, I'd like to go to the, to the clerk of the store. I'd like to supplicate you for this product I'm looking for, you know. I don't know if we use that term. But when we're supplicating, that is we're getting down on our knees before God because we are in desperation. We need an answer. And Paul would tell us to then leave it with God and trust Him. Trust Him. He's going to see, to see you through. We show our trust how? That little sub word, okay? 
prayer and supplication, but there's a, what I call a subword there, and, and because of my nature, my wife could vouch for this, thanksgiving, it's kind of an afterthought. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Nothing's happened, mind you, but a conversation with God. With thanksgiving. Thank you, God. Now, if any have been around the teaching I've been around, which you, many of you have, you've been mistaught about this whole phrase here. Thanksgiving is not seeking anything. Some people use thanksgiving as a manipulation tool. <laughs> You've done it before, I know. When you really want something from God very badly, you want an answer. You need a yes answer. You have been supplicating. and You're desperate. And you're thinking, but God may not want me to give me this. He may not want to answer this the way I want to, or I think it's impossible anyway. And so we add thanksgiving as a claim of an answer that's yes. That's not what Paul's talking about. Didn't he want out of prison? Didn't he want to stop getting beaten? Didn't he want to stop having persecution and people, enemies of the cross, chasing him all the time? And wouldn't that seem to be in God's plan? That's not what he's thanking God. He's thankful. Just thankful. He knows God. He's thankful for salvation. He's thankful. Thanksgiving is Paul's way of recognizing God's gracious provision in any and all circumstances. He's already provided. He is good in the yes. Isn't he? He is good in the yes. And he is good in the no. God is indeed always good. All the time. Every circumstance. Every situation. Be Thankful, Paul tells us. All of this, rejoicing, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, is a shift in the mind and the attitude. It's not the way we like to think. It's a shift to a genuine acknowledgement that the Lord is near. Look at that verse there. He says um, in verse 5, the end of verse 5, and, and by the way, this is where I, I do differ from ESV. He kind of starts separating that and puts it in with verse 6, but it's okay. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And uh, he, he is not some distant place. He is right in the middle of your mess. <laughs> he is near. Wow. We'll go back to that later as I bring it to a close. The Lord is near. You, I want you to think about that, though. Well, do you really believe that? Choose to trust in God's protection and provision. This, this verse, verse 7, comes at a critical time. After prayer and supplication, after rejoicing, after thanksgiving, God gives us peace of mind. He says in verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
we may or may not have any change yet in our circumstances, but we have inexplicable peace. There is no greater peace than the peace of God. It surpasses understanding. When the Bible uses the term heart, it refuses to the center of our emotions and attitudes. It relates to our minds, yes, but our thoughts, both conscious and unconscious, strongly influence our hearts. It's not talking about that pumping organ that's beating inside the breast. It is talking about what God is doing to our whole emotional being. That peace of God changes when I, when I recognize that God's protection and provision, when I've given that thanksgiving, He will then give me peace. Paul assures us that God's peace will guard or protect our hearts and minds, our emotions and thoughts, from any harm or attack from the enemy. When I'm, in, I'm on my knees in prayer, how, how can I fall prey to ungodly thoughts? Have you ever thought about that? You get down on your knees and you're letting things go. How in the world, from that position, could you give in to ungodly thinking? How can I rise up from that time prayer, still worried and harassed by my troubles? Ah, <sighs> oh, but I do. I do, don't you? Sometimes I still get up Why? Why? Partly because sometimes I don't really believe. Right? I mean, basically, if I get up from my prayer and I've laid it all on his, at, at his feet and I get up and I'm still harassed and worried, what does that tell me? I am not really believing that God has my best interests in mind or his best interests, regardless, are more important. I haven't begun to rejoice. I fail to believe that the Lord is right there with me. <laughs> that, that's the trouble right there, isn't it? The Lord is near. He's right there with me. But when I truly meet with Him with that attitude of thanksgiving, I can't help but get up and be at peace. I can't help it. He's right there, and I've just met with Him, and I know He's with me. How can I not get up and be at peace? Don't you get upset about that, about yourself? I don't know. I just beat myself up over that. And that's really, that's just masochism, I guess. Choose to ponder godliness. Verse 8, look at verse 8. It's interesting to me that this is, what, this is where we go as we follow through this thankfulness theme, this making requests theme and everything. Then he lands in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, get the right translation here, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whoever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. <coughs> Excuse me. Think about these things. Well, Godward mindfulness continues in a new direction. Once we have settled the issues or felt needs or worries, God is not finished with us yet. We may feel we're finished, right? Okay, God, I made it known to you. You're going to settle this, and we're moving on. 
yeah, you're going to move on, but here's where you're moving. He says, once we've settled the issue, we, we, we need to go further. We, need, we may feel we are finished with him, but he knows our tendency to forget God's interests. I have my interests. I make them known, right? I'm married. I let my wife know my interests. Like, I needed lunch prepared for me today since I forgot to prepare it after I said I would prepare it. I know my needs. Once that's settled, boom, I'm on my way, right? I'm a good man. I'm manly in that way, you know. But look at this. He says, God, God wants us to refocus our minds onto what is important. Look at this series of focal points. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, excellence, worthy of praise, these are the things we are to think about. Think, by the way, is too simple. I don't like that translation. Think is too simple. It goes beyond that, and he means it that way. The prayed-up follower of Christ is supposed to fully consider these traits. You've got a picture in your mind, the sailor going, at, you know, I don't know how they do it anymore, okay? I'm not, a, I'm not a modern sailor. I'm an old ancient sailor. Not really. I don't do any sailing. But, but you, the, like they, got, they have the, uh, they look at the constellations, right? They kept look at the stars. They get the North Star up here, and they've got the constellations, and somehow, some way, using that thing, I'm not even going to try to remember what it's called. They look at those stars and they navigate, and by doing that, they know where they're going, right? And if they do it right, which they all are well trained in, they will land, they will get to the port they're supposed to get to. If they mess up, or if they ignore it for a time, they will land way off course. God says, Paul says, consider. Think about these things. Put your mind on these things. Study them like this, this sailor is going to do, navigate by the stars. So we might say we diligently study truth until we become truthful. We, we, we become dependable. We become real. <clears throat> we mull over honor and respect until we become honorable or respectable. <clears throat> we concentrate on what is just or right until we become righteous. We seek out purity or that which is holy and separated for God until we become pure and holy. We focus on the lovely or pleasing until we become Agreeable in nature. Hmm. Well, I won't point out any people. We contemplate what is commendable or of good repute until we become reputable. Paul includes, by the way, excellence, literally moral excellence or virtue and praiseworthy as targets of our contemplation and reasoning. But Paul never goes for quiet contemplation for contemplation's sake. You will never find Paul being the guy that's the book, just kind of like folks only on the books. He's not going to sit there and hide out with that. Now, he believes in it. He says, you know, focus on these things, yes. 
He expects a change in who we are. We become virtuous. We become all these things because we know that the God who came to earth, Jesus Christ, perfectly lived out each of these characteristics without fail. This is the same God who heard our prayers and gave us peace. In answer, he provides the means to bring his nature into the world around us. We live these categories. We focus on these things. And by the way, being leads to doing. Verse 9, he says, uh, in verse 9, he says, um, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, we're back to peace. Choose to practice godly living. I, I would like to spend more time here, but I won't. I won't spend too much time. Let's look briefly at this command and promise in this verse. Paul says, do what I have done. <coughs> do what I have done. <coughs> Excuse me. After the reflection related in verse 8, now is the time for action. We had the reflection in verse 8, but I need action behind what I've, what I've done. This is not the only time, by the way, Paul has called his readers to imitate him. Twice in Philippians, twice in Corinthians, Paul says, be imitators of me. Do what I do. <laughs> Paul taught many things. He did. He taught many things. But he didn't stop there. He lived out every one of them in front of the people he was teaching. Now, this may be very risky for a guy like me standing here in a teaching role. But those of us who teach need to be able to say, imitate me, do what I do, not cult-like but only do what I do as I do what Christ does. Only do what I do and as I do what the Scripture says. Don't, do, don't, don't copy my mistakes. Preachers are notorious for that, by the way. When we preach, we find a hero preacher and then we preach just like them, but we, what we imitate is their mistakes <laughs> or their quirks. You know, many people used to imitate Billy Graham or Billy Sunday way back in history, but they would imitate the wrong thing. You know, it wasn't their, their, it wasn't their time in prayer and their time with the Lord and their time having people underneath them praying constantly. I know in, it was Spurgeon, I believe he had a place down beneath him there where somebody, they had a group of people praying always while he preached. And that's, he said that was the secret to his success as a preacher. It wasn't his great sermons, although they're pretty good. Um, it was what, it was the prayer that went behind it. Living he, but Paul lived this lifestyle out. And living out this lifestyle included a promise regarded, regarding the peace in verse 7. The promise is that the God of peace will what? Will be with you. So, some people are, are satisfied to obtain a little peace in their life, right? Oh, just get, you know, which, which is more like relief. You know, I need relief from this moment, this, this crisis. Paul would only be satisfied with one thing, and that was the God. Of peace. He wasn't so interested in peace as he was in the God of peace. Folks, that's what we really want, don't we? As, as I was working this through, my wife uh, shared something that just caught my, caught my attention. Um, 
in from last week's uh, our daily bread. And she, she mentioned it to me, and I thought about it and thought about it, and I kept thinking, that really fits this. That really fits this. Why, I don't know, but it just really fits this. And it's about Corey Tim Boom. You know who Corey Tim Boom was? Uh, prisoner uh, 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 in the concentration camps as a, uh, in Nazi crisis, I believe. I can't remember what, what country she actually was in, where she was at. But uh, um, she... There was one time when she, she relates the story of how when she came, uh, she and her sister early on, they had uh, had to basically uh, remove all their clothes and stand naked for a search. And, of course, in a, in a very shameful moment, feeling miserable in, in, in that setting. And at, that, at, a, at a moment in there, the, uh, Corey Timboon turned to her sister, and I should have asked you the name. Is it Betsy? Okay. Um, Corey turns to Betsy, her sister, and said, and by the way, Betsy died in the concentration camps. Uh, Corey Timboon was released uh, when the war ended. But, but Corey turned to her sister, Betsy, and said, Betsy, he was without clothes. He hung from the cross this way. And she says, Betsy turned to her and said, Oh, I never thanked him for that. Rejoice. Be thankful. Another thought probably shouldn't share this one but I, because that one makes me cry I got to share one that should make me cry and it doesn't yet um, someone recently said regarding the attack on Paris um, that um, our prayers are with you but that's not enough And I was thinking about our prayer life, making our prayers and supplications to God, and he brings peace. And I think about our prayers are with you, that's not enough. And this is not the first time I've heard this from politicians lately. And I'm thinking, and I'm not mentioning who said that. Um, I'm only, but there's a problem. Because if our prayers are not enough, what is? If God is with us, God is with us when we are praying, if He is near when we are praying, if the God of the universe who sits there with us is not strong enough, capable enough, or powerful enough to do something about that, then who am I to say it is not enough? It is only what is enough. And when we then take this approach to life following that prayer, 
the peace that passes understanding will guard our hearts and souls in Christ Jesus, and he will begin his intervention. But his strategy is different than mine. His thoughts are different than mine. I need his thoughts. Father, we come before you. Thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you that you are right here. I don't, I don't fully understand how or why you do that, but I'm so grateful to you that we can call on you and you give us peace. Lord, we lay these things as time before you in Jesus' name. Amen.